Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. said that in 1970, a Sunday school teacher changed his life with a simple illustration. The teacher said, let's assume the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles, was reduced to the thickness of this sheet of paper. If that is the case, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. But the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And the teacher added, And the Milky Way galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe, and Jesus Christ holds all the universe together by the word of his power. Finally, the teacher asked her students, Now is this the kind of person you receive into your life to be your assistant? Christ is not an advisor or an assistant, an aide, or a co-pilot for our lives. He is Lord. We are called to humbly submit to Him, allow Him to rule, direct, and lead our lives by His Word, and we are all wise to do so. The object in the following verses is to show the greatness, power, and majesty of God, and it leaves no doubt about that. At the same time, the point of this passage is to show that this great and infinite God cares deeply about each of our lives. Sometimes it is erroneously taught that God isn't interested in our uh, day-to-day life, that He's too great to care about such small, mundane things. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Rather, we learn from the Scripture that in His greatness, in His attributes and character, it is actually impossible for Him not to know us, to always be there, and to be involved in our lives. There's so much here in Isaiah 40 that we'll be looking at this passage in two parts. This is a very special portion of Scripture, and I hope you'll enjoy our walk through it together. Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 14 say, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor hath taught him. With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding. By a series of questions, the prophet emphasizes here the greatness of Almighty God. The implied answer to all of them, the answer is no one. The first question, who hath measured is designed to imply that the thing referred to was something that could never ever be done by man. And the point is that though this is a work which surpasses human power or human wisdom or human ability, yet this is something that is so easily done by God. The words the hollow of his hand means a cupped hand, forming a hollow in one hand, by which water can be taken up. 
And the idea is that God can take up and hold all of the water and all the deep and vast and mighty oceans and all the waters and all the lakes and streams and rivers and all of the world. And he can hold it all in just the hollow of his hand. As we take up the smallest quantity of water in our hand with the hollow of our hand, all the waters of the world are all that small to him and that easy to measure. The next question is, who hath meted out heaven with the span? The prophet turns heavenward here and he says that God meted out or measures heaven with the span. This is also speaking of a hand and it speaks of the span of a hand. A span denotes the distance from the tip of the thumb to the tip of the little finger. So when God looks at the universe with its trillions upon trillions upon trillions of miles of space, its size and space being numbers that we can't even begin to fathom as we try to measure it, God looks at it and says, it's about this big. God measures the vast, endless universe with its zillions of miles as one measures the smallest of objects with the span of their hand, which is usually about nine inches. So the thought that should come to our minds is that if God measures out this infinitely big universe with the span of a hand, who can measure him? He is really, really big. He is immeasurable. The next question posed by the prophet is, Who hath comprehended or calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Measure here means the third part of a grain measure. And the idea is that God is so great that he can measure all the dirt of all of the earth as easily as a small quantity of grain is measured. All the dirt and dust of the earth is just like a small scoop, scoop of grain contained in a small measure. The next question is, who hath weighed the mountains in scales? God is all-knowing, and he is so mighty that he can weigh the massive, gigantic mountains of the world. Now, if you've ever taken a trip and gone to see the Rocky Mountains, or maybe you live there, and you see these beautiful majestic high mountains. It is astounding to think that God knows how much each of those weigh. As easily as we pick up and weigh light objects on scales or on a balance, God can pick up his mountains and weigh them on his scale, and they are just minuscule to him. God knows how much his mountains weigh. All of these things are impossible for man to do and man to know, but they are things that are just simple to God. Verse 13 asks the question, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? In other words, what superior being has ordered, instructed, or given God his understanding? God is supreme. There is no one above him. No one has directed God. No one instructs him. No one counsels him. No one guides him. God is untaught. He is independent and infinite in his wisdom. 
No one is the answer to all the questions in verses 13 and 14. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? No one. Or as his counselor has taught him? No one. With whom took he counsel? No one. Who instructed him? No one. Who taught him in the path of judgment? No one. Who taught him knowledge? No one. Who showed to him the way of understanding? No one. Easy questions. We could all pass that test very easy. God's plans are his own and have all been formed by himself alone. No one counsels or teaches God. He is not dependent for counsel on men or angels. No one is qualified to instruct him. This, All this being so should lead to a, a logical thought that we should all confide in his wisdom and in his knowledge, which is the highest of all. And we should not confide in man's wisdom. We should find our counsel for our lives from him who has supreme wisdom. And we find this wisdom and knowledge and counsel in his word. The Bible is the revelation of God's mind and heart to mankind. In it, we find true wisdom for our lives. God is the possessor of absolute might and absolute wisdom. God's wisdom, like His power, is incomparable. All of God's works of providence and creation, with all of its complexity and its design, were and are performed without outside help in His own wisdom. And these things teach us where to find wisdom and power for life. And it teaches us to trust Him. To trust Him, knowing that He and His plans are infinitely wise. That He alone is qualified to be our guide for life. And that in Him alone is where life's purpose is found. Isaiah 40, verses 15 through 17 read, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity. The passage turns here from exalting God as creator to exalting him as Lord and ruler of the world. Superpowers, mighty nations, strike mankind as great and powerful and strike people with awe and wonder. But powerful and mighty nations of the world are just insignificant in comparison to the Lord's greatness and the Lord's power. It is God that should strike us with awe and wonder. God says the nations of the world are like a drop of a bucket. Their power is as insignificant as a drop in a bucket to him. A single drop of water that falls from the bucket has no power, especially when you just compare that with the waters of the ocean. It's, it's nothing in its power. And the power of the nations is like that to God. It's nothing in comparison with God and his power. The supposed power of nations is as light as carrying a bucket with a single drop of water in it and their power does not even threaten God. And the great masses of people, of the nations, over whom God rules, are no more burdened to Him also than a single drop of water 
in a bucket is a burden to a person that carries that. Have you ever heard that question or hear people wonder, how does God hear all the prayers of all people in the world? How can he hear them all at once? This idea in our small minds seems hard or impossible, but this is something that is so simple with God. If everybody prayed at the same time, attending to 7 billion prayers at once would be no problem at all for our all-knowing, all-powerful God. God is timeless and He has all the time in the world. You have God's full attention at all times. There is never a time when God does not have His eyes on you, when His care of you ever falters, when He does not hear you. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. The Supernatural Sign Gifts of the Acts Period is a 65-page booklet written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler. We are living in an era when many are declaring back to Pentecost with its signs, miracles, and wonders. Sadly, this unsound teaching is sweeping through the church at an alarming rate, insomuch so that speaking in tongues has become the standard of true spirituality. Thankfully, Paul's gospel is the answer to this confusion. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262 255 or visit our website at www.BereanBibleSociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Isaiah says next here that the nations are counted as the small dust of the balance. And I, I like this one because dust collects on everything in life. And that's part of our chores of life is to regularly have to dust off things. And what Isaiah is saying here is that the weight and power of the nations is no more than the weight and power of the small, fine dust that collects on the best finished and most accurate balancer scales. That dust that collects on that scale has absolutely no effect in making that scale uneven. That dust doesn't even make that scale move at all. And the power of the nations is like that. It's as light as dust. It has no power in comparison to God and has absolutely no effect on the execution of His plan and purposes. God is in control. And so in the future, when the Antichrist raises up his army of millions against the Lord at the Battle of Armageddon, and he comes in in siege fashion and, and fills Israel from top to bottom with this great multitude, thinking that there's power in numbers, 
and he comes to fight against Christ, the one who is being described here, he doesn't stand a chance. He and his army will be absolutely obliterated. Man and his pride often overestimates their power and underestimates God's. Verse 16 speaks of Lebanon. The mountain ranges of Lebanon at the time of Isaiah abounded in these magnificent trees and forests, and they were filled with wild animals, as it talks there about the beasts. Isaiah, of course, was writing under the law at the time when they offered animal sacrifices to God in their worship of Him. And what he is saying here is that God is so great and worthy of so much worship that even the large wood and animal resources of Lebanon, were all of it was insufficient for an appropriate, worthy burnt offering to the majesty and glory of God. Even if all of that wood was cut down to be burned and all of those animals were offered in sacrifice, it would not be an appropriate expression of what was due to God. Everything and anything by which mankind could express his adoration and worship of the exalted one comes incomparably short of his exaltation and glory. In light of his majesty and greatness, again, Isaiah repeats how all the nations before him are as nothing, and they are accounted to him less than nothing and vanity or meaningless, in other words. He actually reinforces uh, what he says in verse 15, in verse 17, by saying that if you were to put all of them together, all of the nations together, they and their supposed strength and glory are nothing and less than nothing before him. Again, this denotes the utter emptiness and insignificance of all nations and their power and glory as compared with God and his true power and true glory. There's no comparison when you compare the two. But this also teaches us a practical thing here, that we should not put all of our hopes and trust and dreams in a nation or in this world because we'll be disappointed if we do. But we'll never be disappointed when we put our trust and our dreams and all of our hopes in God Almighty. Isaiah 40, verses 18 to 21 say, To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? Isaiah hits at a core problem in Israel here, at the the problem of idolatry. And this was a continuous problem for Israel in her past. When you just read the Old Testament, it comes up again and again. Isaiah, a prophet, a mouthpiece of God, asks Israel a question. To whom then will ye liken God? Since God is matchless in His person, since He is so great, what could possibly resemble Him? What form can be made like Him? What man-made image could ever portray a God so great? 
What image could ever capture the greatness of the one who made the galaxies and all things, who is greater than all? Isaiah shows how absurd it was to suppose that there could be any man-made representation of the true and the living God. And then he turns to the folly of Israel's idol worship of false gods. Now we should be careful not to think that idolatry was something that was only done in the past. Idolatry is still with us. It is in this country in various forms, and it is pervasive around the world. In verse 19, we're shown how the rich man has his idol formed and fashioned, and he does so with precious metals, with gold and silver. In verse 20, we're shown how the poor man chooses a tree that will not rot, has his made from wood, and has it carved. And then the prophet just lays into them as to the folly and sheer stupidity of it all regarding idols as objects of worship. Israel should have known better that these are not the true God. Then Isaiah incredulously asks Israel, Have ye not known? Have ye not heard of the greatness of God and His power as they had heard and learned from the Word of God? Had they not been told from the beginning of their lives when they were little children, when they were taught about the true and the living God? Had they not understood from seeing the wonder, the detail, the complexity of creation every single day of their lives that there is a God, a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, living and real. They had had irrefutable evidence daily of learning His existence and knowing of His majesty and glory, and they were without excuse. They had abundant opportunity to know of the existence of God, and so do we. As Paul says in Romans 1.20 about the continuous witness of creation, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Every single day the creation is a witness to us of God and His eternal power. Every person in this world lives every waking moment of their life under the constant reminder of God's presence, God's sovereignty, and power. Unbelief, pride, and exaltation of man's wisdom cause humanity to miss God's persistent and clear message. In Isaiah 40, 1-11, teach us about the glorious One who made all things. And this description of God in this chapter is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ is God. He is all-wise, all-powerful, the Creator of all things. The Apostle Paul says of Him, For by Him, by Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Listen to the passage as I read a portion of these verses and how it shows us that this is Jesus Christ that we're talking about here. Isaiah 40 and verse 1 reads, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. 
for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. His reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. And it goes into our passage, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out the heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust in a measure, and weighed the mountains in a scale, and the hills in a balance, and so on, into the passage that we've been looking at. The chapter opens with a message of comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye, it says in verse 1. And then in verse 3, we see the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, which is a prophecy of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the one who prepared his way. And this leads right into a prophecy of the coming of the Lord God, which then goes right into this description of the greatness of the one who was coming to the nation of Israel. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. When He came, as verse 5 says, the glory of the Lord was revealed. And then as verse 9 says, it was, Behold your God. He came to feed His flock of Israel like a shepherd and gather the lambs with His arms as He is the good shepherd, as John 10 says. Everything we have looked at here is a description of Jesus Christ. He is the massive majestic, all-glorious God that is portrayed here. And it is mind-boggling to think that He, this great and infinite God who is so far above all, would willingly come to this world to take on flesh, become a man forever for us, to make Himself of no reputation, take upon Him the form of a servant, humble Himself, and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, as Philippians 2 says. He came for the cross. He came into the world to save sinners. He came to be the one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. All of that shows us the depth of His care. He came to provide the payment for our greatest need, for our sins, so that we might be saved from hell and spend eternity with Him. If you ever wonder, Does God care about my life? Just look at the cross. The cross is an eternal reminder of God's infinite love and care. And that care for us doesn't stop with the cross. He cares about every single step we take in life and is there for us and with us all the way. And we shouldn't forget that the Bible is a reminder of God's care. He has given us His Word so that we might know Him, find His salvation, live by His wisdom and truth according to what is best for each of our lives so that our lives will be transformed by His grace. Thank you for watching. Please join us next time and we'll continue our walk through Isaiah 40. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. 
We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.